Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Gary Owen is the only white comedian to host BET's Comic View. And many years later, he's bringing his whole family to the network in the reality series The Gary Owen Show, debuting in October 2016. Not something you might have expected from a kid growing up in a trailer park with an abusive stepfather in southern Ohio. Gary always wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but he enlisted in the Navy straight out of high school. It was only when he was stationed in San Diego that he could use his leave hours to hit the comedy clubs there and in Los Angeles for open mics. He talks to me about all of that how he sustained himself in the decade between getting a role in the Jimmy Fox movie Held Up and his eventual success with House of Pain and the Think Like a Man films, and how the death of his brother from a drug overdose changed Gary's outlook on comedy. All of that, plus Gary's decision to have his black wife and mixed-race children on camera with him in BET's The Gary Owen Show. So let's get to it! So, Gary Owen, thanks for joining me right before uh, a packed weekend audience at Caroline's here in New York City. Thank you for having me. Uh, now, last things first, do you always schedule your club dates around the NFL schedule? Look, when the bingo schedule comes out, I try to um, – I call my agent and I'm like, yo, what can we do to make as many games as possible? Because I, I got I got screwed a couple years ago because I booked uh, Cincinnati mm-hmm. the week the Bengals were playing in Cincinnati and they got flexed so they went to the night game. I about, so then they were up against your show. I about shit myself. <laughs> I was like, this ain't happening. I had to switch my weeks. <laughs> oh, you switch your weeks? Oh, no question. Than, like... no, I don't go against the Bengals. That's my team. We're we're on the same squad. <laughs> so on Sunday you'll go to the game. You know, oh, and yeah. Then, and then come back and do the show at night. Or yeah, you, and it's funny. I'm getting my my tickets are coming from Brandon Marshall, who plays for the Jets. <laughs> but he so, knows. Well, the thing about NFL players, they respect loyalty because mm-hmm. they know they can get traded in a, in a win. They're not a lot of NFL players. I mean, they're obviously they're loyal to the team they're on, right? But they know it's a business, you know. So if you're loyal to one team, there's nothing worse than a guy that switches teams, right? Is that is that why you're uh, loyal to BET because they were the ones that gave you a, the big break with Comic View? Well, you know, we pitched my show, the Gary Owen Show, which comes out October 11th uh, <laughs> at 9:30 on BET mm-hmm. Eastern Standard Time. So I'm gonna plug that. But we pitched it to about ten different networks, and we just decided um, BET was the best fit because I don't have to introduce myself to that network or that audience. Like it's just like, oh, Gary's got a show. It's not right. like we got this new guy. We gave a show. You put Chris, Chris Christie, mm-hmm. you put him on BET, yeah, we got this new guy. You know what I mean? But put me on. Do you on, feel like if you had gone on TV Land or A&E? Or A&E or. Yeah, it would have like been a. I, we'll find out. We're going to find. I mean, you never know. Nothing's guaranteed <laughs> oxygen, in this business. Oxygen has done a couple of. We pitched uh, the Oxygen. We pitched the Own. We pitched the We TV. Yeah, A&E. They did Joan Rivers and Sinbad, I think, did We TV. Oh, did he? Yeah. We pitched to a, quite a few, and I can't remember which ones were very interested, but we mm-hmm. just thought, you know, BT is the easiest choice for me. So when you were a kid growing up in a trailer park in Ohio, mm-hmm. was, I mean, obviously. The dream didn't include being on a reality show on black entertainment TV. I don't even know. Reality we... TV wasn't a thing. Right. BET was barely a thing. 
Yeah. What was what was growing up? What did your aspirations include as a child? I, you know, I wanted to be a stand-up from the day I can remember. You know, I just wanted to tell jokes. Who, so where where did that impulse come from? I remember I remember watching like A and E. They had the night at the Improv. Right, right. I remember seeing the guy. I don't know his name that did the Roger Rabbit voice. Uh, Fleischer. Charles yeah, Fleischer. yeah, yeah. I remember seeing him on that show and and just some other comics. And I was I remember seeing Carrot Top growing up. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Def Jam. And everything changed. I mean, obviously, I saw Eddie Murphy, his movies, right. Delirious and Raw. But when I saw Def Jam, I was in high school. I was like, yo, that's what I want. When I saw them running around the room and just so raw, because mm-hmm. it was the first time, other outside of Eddie, it's the first time I'd seen, like, just just no editing. It was just, this is how it is. Right. If the comic does bad, we're going to show it. If he does good, we're going to show it. What? Was there something about black comedy that appealed to you more than white comedy, even as a child? No. Um, you know, my, my favorite growing up was Sam Kinison. Okay. That was my guy because he was really pushing envelope in another spectrum. And, you know, I, when I started doing stand-up, I tried to get on in La Jolla, the comedy store in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I could only get on, you know, back then, open mic, you call in at 4, and then they call you back. You call back at like 7. And find out if you're on the list. And sometimes I'd be on it, sometimes I wasn't. But that was the only night I knew of was open mic in La Jolla on Sunday. So you got like 50 people calling every week to get like 15 spots. Right. And so you're not guaranteed to get on every week. So I was like, I was in the Navy, I was telling guys, I'm frustrated, man. I want to do stand up, but I don't know where to go. And like some black guys was like, dude, you can go here, you can go here, you got to go to the black spots though. So I just started hitting all the hood spots. And that's where I started doing the, you know, I talk about the audience. But but when you were a kid, though, uh, was there not a funny bone? In Cincinnati? Yeah. Yeah, but I never went. Now, when I... go bananas or... There was was a funny bone and Ray Combs owned it. Okay. In Cincinnati. And I remember when I was, um, when I just got in the, joined the military. The summer, as I was going in the military, I was 17. And then I would come back on leave Mm -hmm. and I was 17, 18. And I couldn't, I wasn't old enough. To get into the funny boat on certain nights. But literally, I would stand outside of it, and there was this bouncer, and uh, he would, I started talking to him, and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a stand up. I never said I want to be. I said, no, I'm going to be a stand up. And then he, we started talking, and he would let me in and sit at the back. He had like a back high top two table mm-hmm. where he would sit. And pretty soon he started bringing me like Pepsis and cheeseburgers, <laughs> and we would talk, and we would literally be talking about the comics on stage. I'm like, this guy's terrible. Better than him, or somebody would come through and be like, okay, this guy's pretty good. Who who do you remember seeing there? I don't. Oh. You know, I'm, I don't. I didn't know anybody at that time. It was okay. all white comics coming to the funny one. I didn't right. see any black comics. Black comics would have stuck out to me, but I don't remember who they were. You know what I mean? I just remember thinking that guy's funny, or nah, this guy's not that good. And I had never been on stage before. So why, if you knew you wanted to be a stand-up, why go into the military, the Navy, right? Yeah. Well, what it was was, you know, you grew up in a trailer park. And halfway through my senior year of high school, I had no plans. I didn't know what I, I was just thinking stuff's going to line up. And my buddy and his dad picked me up and was like, dude, you got to get out of here. I said, what do you mean? And he was like, it was a Saturday morning. And he was mm-hmm. like, you're going to be stuck in this trailer park your whole life. You got to get out. And he literally just drove me down to a recruiting station. And the Navy was like, yo, yeah, we'll pay you and we'll give a full-time job. And you, you don't know where you're going to be. It's like right. you're rolling the dice. That was exciting to me. So I was like, damn, I don't know where I'm going to live. <laughs> So I was like, okay, I'll try it. So I went to boot camp, 
And I got out of boot camp, and my plan was... I'll Where get was boot camp? Orlando, okay. when I was there in the Navy. It shut down like a couple years after I got out. Now, now everybody goes to Great Lakes outside of Chicago. Okay. But when I was in, I was like, if I can just get stationed in California, I can start doing stand-up. I had no clue you could start in your hometown. <laughs> I thought you had to move to L.A. or New York to do stand-up. I didn't know. Even though you were getting snuck into the club. Yeah, I thought all those guys was coming in from out of town. I had no idea. You could do that type of stuff. Right. You could like, be no like the local MC. And- yeah. So, I uh, first chance I got stationed in San Diego, I took it. And uh, when I literally, my first week in San Diego, I uh, I got the phone book that's just showing my age. And I look, was looking up comedy clubs, and I called this place called the Comics Castle. And I called it, and I said, hey, you guys got open mic? And yeah. he was like, let me look it up. I was like, what? It was a comic book store. He was looking up like a comic book. He was looking like a superhero named Open Mike. <laughs> right, and he, he got back. He goes, right. "Who'd you say?" I said, "Open mic." He goes, "You looking for a comedy club?" I go, "Yeah, man. What is this?" He goes, "We a comic book store, the Comics Castle in San Diego," and he gave me the phone number of the comedy store. He goes, okay. "Hold on, man. Let me look. Let me look something up." To this day, I don't know who that guy was, and that's that's when I start heading up to open mic. Now, how difficult was that while being in active military duty? Uh good thing I was on shore duty mm-hmm. because if I was on a ship, I'd be leaving. What was your assignment? I was a cop, master okay. arms. Uh, so I had weekends off mostly. I mean, every now and then you got duty where you got to work all weekend. Right. But when other guys was going to nightclubs, I was hitting the comedy clubs. And it was funny because when I first got on the scene in San Diego, there was Bobby Lee was at the comedy store, Darren Carter, uh, a, a girl named Shayma Tosh. She's had a oh, couple yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah. And then when I would do the black spots, it would be like Nick Cannon was like 17. I don't know if anybody else from that time. That was probably it. Nick was doing the black spots, and then mm-hmm. Bobby Lee was doing it. It was funny how I, I was in two different worlds. Right. The well, they, I mean, that's the, the thing world. about your career is a lot of people have a hard time, even in the industry, maybe have a hard time wrapping their heads around why. Usually it's like encouraging black comics to be mainstream. Mm-hmm. Not, oh, you're a white guy? Let's do the the black audience. Right, right. Like, I actually had an agent when I first got in the business. I'm not going to name names and get anybody to throw anybody under the bus. But he had told me um, I got to mainstream my show. Right. He goes, he, And he basically was like, listen, man, um, black people are never going to pay to see a white dude. They'll pay to see a white dude on a show with black people. But right. you'll never be your own show. And then right after he told me that, I fired him for one. I was like, mm-hmm. dude, I can't change my act. You know, but... Right after that, like Timberlake hit, and 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 John B hit, and then all these white guys that had like started to do urban followings yeah, just there, took there was, off. There was White Boys in the Hood was a was a show yeah that was, was a day they they called me to do that. <laughs> I was like I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it time wise. Yeah, I was I wasn't available. I was okay. shooting Little Man okay. when they asked me to do it. We were shooting a movie. So, but you're still kind of balancing military duty with. This and open mics are during the week, so that's got to be. Yeah, I would just tricky. get off, and then I, the hardest part was I would get off. So, sometimes when I was trying to make a name for myself in L.A., mm-hmm. I would get off duty or get off work at four, four thirty, and I at this point I was I was driving to L.A. like four or five times a week, and I would uh, I'd get have like a ten o'clock spot at the Improv or at the Laugh Factory, so I'd drive up in traffic for two two and a half hours. And then just run around LA and just till I got in my ten o'clock spot for five minutes, and then I get done and and come back to San Diego so I could be at work at six in the morning. But I would get guys to drive with me. What it mm-hmm. was was I would sucker guys that I was in the Navy with. I go, mm-hmm. dude, last night I saw Jim Carrey. No, I didn't. 
But I'd be, they'd be like, what? i go, yeah, you don't know who you're going to see, man. I'm in L.A. So I'd get guys from the military would drive mm-hmm. up with me. And then I was like, like sometimes God would just be looking out for me. Like Shaq would walk in because he was playing for the Lakers. Or like just, you know, Vivica Fox would be at the show. And like my, the guys would be like, no way. I can't believe we saw them. <laughs> Did bringing guys with you, did that help in the way that I know in New York there are a lot of bringer shows? Did, did bringing guys with you help you get more spots? No. no you okay. mean more spots in L.A.? Yeah. No, no. Because you were bringing paid customers? No, no, okay. I, no, 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 no. Well, being a military guy driving up from San Diego to L.A. all the time, how much do you think that held you back versus how much being a, mil- being a Navy guy gave you the discipline to, to work harder to get, get ahead in the game? Well, it's the thing about it is I see I see young comics come up and I'm like, you know, um, they immediately want money, or they're they're you know I'm like this dude. Right. Beginning ain't about money at all. It's just getting on stage and finding your voice, and you know, you just that's not what it's about in the beginning. And then if you just for me, I always say I knew what hard work is from mm-hmm. being in the military. So this the the entertainment business, I say it's a grind, but it's not like being in the military. That was hard work. Well, I mean, the other thing you find now in 2016 versus 1996 is just the technology makes makes the opportunities that much more accessible or believable for people. Oh, yeah. So so aspiring people go, oh, I could be a Vine star. Or, YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. When I was doing it, I remember the first time I, I was trying to book myself, I was uh, I had a fake bio. I had, let me tell you something, I had a, I had headshots, I had a fake bio and everything, and I had never been on stage yet. There was a comic named David Arnold. Mm-hmm. He's a writer now. It's funny, I, I ran into him, mm-hmm. and I knew he was a stand-up in San Diego, and I said, what do I gotta do? Again, I'm gonna be a stand-up, not I wanna be. And he was like, dude, you gotta get headshots, you gotta get a resume? I said, okay. I found his headshot place, got headshots, wrote up a fake resume. What did your headshot look like? Oh, it was terrible, I was in a Troy Aikman jersey. <laughs> And I was sitting on a box, and I had these sweats on. It was so bad. <laughs> like, I'm in sweats to try to my jersey, like, trying to look suave. You know, you're, you're in a crouch position, and uh, if you walk into the comedy cellar, they have a bunch of old headshots. And there are plenty of mid-'90s guys like Bill Burr or Dane Cook are all doing yeah. that crouch. I've never – I don't think I've ever performed there no? at this cellar. So Yeah, that was my, it was my thing for a while. I was like, dang, I ain't on no walls. <laughs> Like, I'm on no comedy club walls. Now the new ones are getting built up on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> but you had a... F- but why did you feel like you had to fake it? Fake. You said you had a fake resume, fake... I had never been on stage yet. So I did, did it put- backwards. Usually people get on stage and then they start doing headshots. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll be a stand-up. I'll be all right. Let me get these headshots. And I was sending them out to comedy clubs. Like, you should book me. And I was coming up with... I would call and I was a fake agent. I was using my stepdad's name. <laughs> And uh, I, I can't stay on my stepdad, and I figure he never had a job, so I'm gonna give him one. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm Rod Randall, <laughs> call him. Uh, I rep Gary Owen." And I was get, I was getting booked sometimes. Like I got booked at the El Paso, the the comedy stop out there. Okay. And, and then uh, then there was um, there was a comedy caravan, and I found it. It goes through the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. And I took like two weeks leave, and I did like a week run on the comedy caravan. I went to like I went to Louisville and. Sit right outside of Cincy. I did a Midwest run. How long did you have to do that before you had enough real credits? Before before you had real credits or, or representation. Uh, like everything was the last came, time every, you stopped calling. Oh as Rod no, Randall? that was just for a couple months. But okay. um, everything happened pretty fast because I I got on Comic View and then they made me the host. 
And so I had been doing, I had been doing comedy less than a year, and all this took off. Because I was still in the military when I first got on BET Comic View. I just took, like like I said, a week's leave and went up to L.A. and filmed. Came back. I was Were in the Navy. Were you able to watch it with your fellow? Military buddies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they would see me like, no way. I was like on the base, <laughs> like on TV, the big man on base. You know, but I knew I was... Getting out, mm-hmm. I was in a, but then BT called. I was like, "We're, we're gonna have you host," and I go, "Woo! I gotta get out like now from the military." How how tricky was that to negotiate? Well, here's the thing: I was, I only had like like three or four months left on my enlistment, and um, so is that an honorable discharge? Yeah, I got an honorable. But BT called and was like, "Yeah, we want you to host," but they weren't they weren't filming for another two months. Okay, so I had two months to work it out to get out two months early. So. A lot of times they'll you got you go through a tap class transition assistance program and I just had a good command like they looked out for me and got me out a little early. It's not like I got out years early. I literally got out like seven weeks early. Right. You know what I mean? And we worked it out. And then when my paperwork finally came in, I had to go back down to San Diego and it took a week to com- to officially process me out. But they looked out for me for a couple weeks so I can get out. So early. since you went straight from high school to the Navy and then straight from Navy to hosting. Comic View. Mm-hmm. Did you never have like a real job? Not like no, just military and stand up. Yeah, military and stand up. Yeah, and I went straight. I never. I've only featured once, and that was at the El Paso. Who was the headliner? Chaz Elsner. Okay, I think his name was. Yeah, Chaz Elsner. Yeah, that was his name in El Paso. We stayed at a condo together, and wait, I thought I was living life. I was like, "Damn, this is this how it is." Wait, so how do you only feature once? You- because I only feature once because I couldn't travel and be a stand-up like that. Mm-hmm. So I was in the military. Right. Like I said, I did the two-week run for the comedy caravan. That was that was it. I headlined that. And then I um, I opened for Chaz for a weekend in El Paso. And I drove from San Diego to El Paso. For my Wait, pickup. so what's headlining the comedy caravan like when you have... I just sold them. No credits. I just you, sold them, baby. What were you doing for your, I was, 45 I was, minutes? I was winging it. I was winging it. Like, completely winging it. I was getting into paper. You know, I was just like, I was winging it. You know what I mean? I was finding my voice as I went. Mm-hmm. I was just winging it. I probably had... How did those shows go? In my mind, they went okay, but you might want to ask somebody that was there. <laughs> I did better than the feature. <laughs> the feature, it was cricket. So I was like, ooh, this crowd's rough. Wow. I would start dancing and do physical stuff to make mm-hmm. them laugh. You know what I mean? So, But it was probably pretty choppy. If there's a tape, I'd probably cringe. <laughs> When did you find your voice finally? Um, I don't know. I think it was those San Diego days when I would hit all the black night spots, mm-hmm. the black black spots, because I I just realized like oh black audience audiences aren't like Def Jam and the Apollo. They they don't come to boo. They come to laugh like every other audience, you know. But mm-hmm. they will boo if you stink. But that's not why they're there. And then it just I just would ask questions. I remember one joke I did on Comview. I said what's what's a boo. Because, you know, black guys call their girlfriend, that's my boo. And I was like, what's a boo? Mm-hmm. And then they, literally the audience like, that's your girl. And then I go, oh, well, I want to be somebody's boo. <laughs> and they ate it up. Like, I just went, oh, well, any any ladies want to be my boo? <laughs> and they ate it up. How much did having to wing those very early performances help when you were finally thrown into these black audiences as a full, full-time headliner that they recognized from uh-huh. BET? I don't, it, was, it was to me. I never, I never overthought it. It was all pretty natural. Mm-hmm. So I never, I never gave it much thought. It just, it all seemed pretty, pretty natural to me. And I v- envisioned it. I mean, I, 
I remember in high school, my junior year of high school, sitting in a classroom, they were talking about SATs and colleges and some colleges came to visit. And like this sense of euphoria came over me and I was like, I'm not going to be any of this. I'm going to be a stand up. <laughs> and then one time I ran away from home and I told my buddy, I go, dude, just take me to the bus station. I'll catch a bus to LA. I'll make it. I'm like, I'm like 15, 16 years old. And he was like, what? I go, just do it, man. I just do it. He goes, you ain't got no money. I said, okay, I need some money to get on the bus. I'll just go to LA. I'll make it. And I was, I, I really thought that. And to this day, that guy's like, I can't believe this shit, man. You really became a stand up. But that time that you, you you threatened to run away, how far did you actually get? I got nowhere. I got, I, I drove around my bus? town. No, you didn't get no. Okay. no, we I was we were probably forty five minutes from a bus station. I was in the <laughs> farms. I was in farmland. We literally drove around this car. Like, what am I gonna do? And I finally called my stepdad, and I was like, "Look, I'm gonna come home, but you can't hit me." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "He goes, what?" I said, "I'll come home, but you can't hit me." And he was like, he was so mad. He goes, I, I can't hit you. I'll break your back if I touched you. I was like, all right, I'll come home. Remember, you said you're not going to hit me, right? So I came home. He didn't hit me. Oh, well, that's good then. Yeah. So when you're leaving the military, you're hosting on BET. What was the dream for you then? What did you think this was going to turn into? It was all such a whirlwind because in, literally in, in six months, I go from active duty military to hosting Comic View, and now I'm living in L.A. full time. And I'm I'm on stage one night, and Jamie Foxx is there, and Jamie comes up to me afterwards, like, "Yo, I got this movie. I'm gonna bring you in for an audition." So he brings me in, and I get the part in this movie called Held Up. So you're talking about a guy who six months earlier is just active duty military, never been on TV. Film Comic View. That's the one that all takes place in like a convenience store, gas station, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, the sip and zip. Yeah, yeah. So, active duty military to six months later, I've been on TV. Now I'm hosting a TV show that isn't airing yet. And I'm, I'm, I'm flying to Canada to do a movie with Jamie Foxx. I'm like, entertainment's easy. You know did, what you, I mean? did you have better headshots? I got a little better headshots. <laughs> it wasn't much, but it, I wasn't in a full, Troy Aikman jersey. So after you get that part, do you think that's just how it's going to be? I thought when I get back from Canada, mm-hmm. the phone is going to ring off the hook, and it did not ring. <laughs> and I didn't get another movie for three years, and it was so, Daddy Daycare. So what did you do for those three years? Uh, but I was headlining. So now I'd, I'd been on BT. Mm-hmm. I was the host of Comic View. So, so I'm just kind of riding you. that. Even though I hadn't been on TV in a couple years, there's reruns. Yeah, DVDs are selling. So I'm headlining now. So I was able to, you know, be a full-time comic. And did you think that might be your, your full-time life? comic? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Just be a club guy for yeah. And as a you go, you, I, yeah, I, you just kind of like you keep waiting for that next movie or TV show to come along, and then you realize, oh, I should probably take acting classes because I, I gave some brutal auditions in the beginning. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, ooh, I gave some good ones, but I mm-hmm. gave some brutal ones. You know, I was like, okay, let me let me get an acting class a little bit, and you just, I always thought it would happen. To me, it was never like it's never if it was when. I goes one day people will figure it out. You know, in my mind, I was always big. I know that sounds conceited, but I was just like one day everyone will figure it out. In your acting classes, was there anyone in there who? It was funny. My turned out to be somebody. Not not in entertainment, so to speak. Um, there was funny. I had an acting class, and I had to do a. It was a scene from a movie or a sitcom, and it was the guy wakes up with his girlfriend on one side mm-hmm. and a strange girl they picked up the night before, but they were so messed up they didn't remember. 
So I was the guy, and I got to lay in the middle of these two girls. And the two girls, one was uh, Will Smith's ex-wife, Cherie Fletcher. Mm-hmm. She was she was in my acting class. She was in the scene with me. And the other girl is um, Emmett Smith's wife, who at the time was Martin Lawrence's ex-wife. Oh, wow. Just got divorced from Martin. And this was before she was dating Emmett. I got these two beautiful black girls, and I'm in the middle. I'm like, acting class is great. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked. The, I was so nervous because mm-hmm. it's um, it wasn't a love scene. It was it was the day after a love scene. It was like this. It was just a scene in an acting right. class. And I was I was nervous because I'm like, dang, I'm, I'm supposed to be in bed with these two pretty girls, and we're really getting into character. So I went to class in my underwear. I drove to class in my underwear. I walked down the street in my underwear, and I walked into class. I was just in my drawers, and they were tidy whities <laughs> And I figured that's going to get the nerves out, right? You know. And then I just because we got on the covers, they had a bed in our acting right. class, and we just did the scene. So but did I just that said, work? What's that? Did that work? Well, just acting class. Yeah. I'm not with either woman. <laughs> no, I mean just in terms of like calming your nerves. I guess. <laughs> no, that's a much different reality show. Yeah, completely. Did you uh was the reality show your idea or It was where um, did it come from? I was I was in, I was out in LA for pilot season last year and I was doing all these auditions. I just randomly met with this lady named Stella, mm-hmm. who's Mariah Carey's manager. And T I That's a lot of work. Right, but T.I., Stella's great, though. And then T.I. was showed up at the meeting, and, okay. and she Stella helped put T.I.'s reality show together. So us three just started talking, and she was like, I want to do your show. I want to get your show on air. I was like, all right. And then she, she set up a meeting with uh, Buna Murray, who does the Kardashians yeah, and the real world real stuff. World, yeah. And we The OG clicked. reality show crew. Huh? The OG reality Man, show crew. Man, they're the best. That's yeah. what they do. So we met. Went out with them and pitched, and then BT was like, "This is different." You know what I mean? I mean, it is a, it's is a black reality show, but it's with a white lead. Right. And so we just we sold it. That was last summer. Shot the pilot in December, and they picked it up. Now it's it's a straight documentary, or is it one of these where you try to like gin up plot contrivances to? No, it's to get it going. I mean, it's it's pretty much our life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're not ratchet. There's no fights like that. I mean, obviously, it's going to be disagreements. You're not but, like, oh, what's this episode going to be? Yeah. I mean, it gets pretty heavy on a couple because, you know, I had a, a brother pass away of a heroin overdose. And yeah. we, we dive into that one episode pretty heavy. No, no, the last time I saw you was I was in D.C. when there was a recovery rally. And I saw oh, really? Dad. That's where yeah. you saw me? That's the first time I announced it. Like, yeah. I admitted that, that he passed heavy. away. You was in the audience that night? Yeah. Oh, I broke down. Broke down and trying to tell jokes at the same time is not easy. No, you said that uh, you were actually weren't booked on that, but you made a point of wanting to be there. Well, I, what happened was I was I was in San Francisco and I was driving. To, my driver was driving me to the airport, and I heard Doctor Oz on a radio show mm-hmm. talking about it. And I immediately called my manager and I said, "Yo, I know it's probably too late for this year, but I really want to be on that show next year." She calls me back like as soon as I land. Um, she's like, "Yo, they want you this year." I said, "What? It's it was like next week." I was like, they want me this year? She goes, yeah. I go, let's move something around. I want to do it. So she goes, are you going to speak about Dallas? I said, I don't know yet, but I want to be on the comedy show. So I got up there, and I saw the – I had 10 minutes, and I saw – it got to 8. And I literally in my head, I go, am I really going to do this? Am I going to talk about Dallas dying? And I just let it out, and it came out, and it worked. I mean, not worked out, but it, it's – I've, you know, I, I have a newfound, so to speak, passion, and that's to help people with addiction. You know, because it is a, it's an ugly cry, especially where I live in Cincinnati. It's ugly. Yeah. Well, there was actually 
I wanted to ask you about this. There was a, did you see the picture today of mm-hmm. the overdosed couple? Yeah. That's right outside Cincinnati. Yeah, they needed to show that. They need, with the kid in the back seat? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's bad stuff. And now the rumor is that this elephant tranquilizer that they're lacing the heroin with, they think they just picked uh, that, that tri-state area like Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio mm-hmm. right there. They picked that's going to be our trial run with it to see if we can get away with it. You know what I mean? Jesus. And now everybody's overdosing, so obviously they're not. No. It's like a, it's like their trial run was that region. That's the rumor now. Did you have to have a lot of experience with that growing up, or is this more of a? Um, not because not I know with, meth, meth and heroin what didn't become really as much of an epidemic until more recently. Yeah, I didn't deal with with like those type of drug addictions growing up. I didn't. I was never into that scene, but growing up in the household I grew up in, you know, I. I just gravitated to the right crowd in high school, but the conversations I've had with my brother before he passed, I mean, he was this, it's not a, wasn't a nurturing household. Was he older or younger? Younger. Yeah. It wasn't a nurturing household. So he'd always call me and we'd, we'd talk about his dad, my right. stepdad, because he's, he's, I think he suffers from PTSD, not from war, but I think how he was brought up. And right. I think he hasn't been able to confront that. And so he lashes out. To other people, and he doesn't—he doesn't go out. He's very much a hermit, but he lashes out. The, and the only people to lash out are people in his circle, so he lashes out on us. You know what I mean? And and, and so Dallas, when he got on heroin, I was thinking, God, he's got to get out of that house, man, because he kept—it's either he was either at the apartment he lived in where mm-hmm. it was drugs everywhere, or go back home and he's just getting beat down mentally. So he he didn't didn't have much of a chance, really. But no trauma for you, though. I think I, not drug trauma, right. but I'm finally dealing with the childhood trauma I went through. Yeah. And that, that's, that's been since Dallas passed. I had to really look inside myself. Like, comedy is what saved me, really. I'm able to open up on stage about it. And talking to high schools and stuff recently. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm able to open up. And it, it's helping me. Because I used to not open up because you're so scared of hurting your family. Right. You know, I don't want to hurt my mom and everything like that, but just come to realize I got I got to look out for myself. You know what I mean? I can't worry about hurting other people's feelings by telling the right. truth. Well, it's even if I'm lying. Right. But a if lot, I'm telling the truth. A lot of families want to cover up any any hurt or pain. Oh, they yeah, they bury it. Yeah. Because I did a BuzzFeed article and when that came out it was an eight-page article and on a, a paragraph of it I talked about my stepdad and my family like Damn near disowned me after that. And the only one that would talk to me was Dallas. He was still in touch with me. And he was like, he got, yo, they took your pictures down in the house. I go, what? He goes, they took all your pictures down. <laughs> and I let the family secret out. You know what I mean? And they, they didn't want, they didn't like that. When how, I say they, I'm talking about my mom and stepdad. Right. How, how much of this ends up in the show? Now? My new hour? Yeah. No, I, well, I mean in the TV show. It's 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 one or two episodes. We'll bring it up towards the end. We mm-hmm. want to make sure people like it and watch the show and get invested in the family. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of not hit them, but then we get a little deeper towards the the end because there's ten episodes. So like eight and nine gets a little deep. Because I mean, any show, even if you're doing a straight documentary style reality show, having cameras on your family changes how you behave. Yeah, it does. You're not gonna. Like I said, though, you can't look crazy. If you look crazy, it's on you. I mean, that's just... Right. And I've asked numerous people about reality shows, and they said, you know, we we don't change anybody. It, we just speed up the process. 
You know what so I mean? If you were crazy, you we're just, your... you're going to look crazy faster. So how do you think it's affected your relationship with your wife and your kids? We've been, we're fine. We, you know, we, we were prepared for it. We're at a good, we're at a good place. We've been together 13 years, so we've been through worse. And we've, you know, it's not, it's a little intrusive at times, but we had such a good crew. They literally became our extended family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you just get real comfortable walking out in your drawers. And <laughs> but you're not worried about it getting to your kids' heads once it actually starts airing? Nah, they're, I, my kids are pretty grounded. I'm not too worried about that at all. And plus we're in Cincy. It's, we're not, we're not in LA. We're not in New York. We're right. in Cincinnati. It's not like you're the next Kardashian fan. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't, who knows? Uh, you never know. But you, you wanted to take my question about, uh, dealing with like the pain and the trauma in your life. When I said your show, you first took the question as on stage. Yeah, it's pretty dark right now. It does. It's pretty because dark. Because that's not how I think of your stand-up. I think of your stand-up very it's funny for a while. It, funny it gets and, dark for about 10 minutes. I had to tear, I had to take it back because even my, the guy that opens up for me, he's like, yo, you're getting a little too dark, man. Cause you're going about 30 minutes into your stepdad right now. And I go, oh, okay. You don't want the audience to be like, you. Cause I got, I was in Columbus a couple months ago and I got pretty dark with it. And mm-hmm. the guy goes, how about them bucks? <laughs> Trying to light up the, the room. <laughs> How about them bucks? I was like, oh, too dark? <laughs> but this has all kind of like had an impact on you. Very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very so, much so. So where do you, where do you hope that, uh, that things go for your career? My career? Yeah. Oh, I, I would like to get to a place where I'm able to have my own tour. I don't have to worry about who else is on the show. And I would like, you know, I would like to be sold out before I get there. Like I sell out. But I got to get to the city right. and do press and hustle. So Shaquille O'Neal might be in the audience, but his name won't be on the title. Right. Yeah. I just want to be sold out before I get there, like, you know, and, and be able to come into a city on a Wednesday mm-hmm. and have to be regulated to the weekend. <laughs> Not have I mean? to do all the morning radio. And- yeah. <laughs> As you're doing the reality show and moving on to the next thing, who's been really great in terms of giving you advice in terms of how to shape your, your career and your life, these next oh. steps? Honestly, my wife. My wife, I talk to more than anybody, and the guy that opens up for me, his name is Gene Harding. He's on a reality show, too. He's on my show. Uh, we bounce off each other a lot. Um, as far as, like, big people in the business, I talked to T.I. Um, a few times because he's got the family hustle, and he seems to transition pretty well. He's still getting acting jobs and doing rap songs and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, so, and I just asked. The people of Buna Murray when it comes to reality TV. And I did a call Will Packer before I decided to do it because I asked him, is this going to affect me? Like, are people going to look at me different? He goes, nah. He goes, if, if most people know you're cool. So if you come off as a cool guy on the show, no producer going to be like, I don't want to work with him. He goes, if you come off looking like an asshole and I don't know you, if you come in, like, I don't want to work with that guy. Do you want to be stuck with that guy on location somewhere for six, seven weeks? I don't think so. He goes, but if you come across as cool, Gary, and nice, people are going to be like, oh, I bring him in, see what he's got. And you got to deliver, but yeah, he said, no, nah, it's not going to affect you like that. And on the flip side, when, when somebody new to the game comes up to you asking for advice, what's the first thing you tell them? Be on time and do your time. This, in, in this business, I tell you, I said, be on time. You know, always if, if the show's at 730, don't be rolling in at 735. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and do you, your you time. You can only do that on your wedding day. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I know you when, talked about being late to your wedding. Oh, my wife was, not me. My oh. wife was. But I say comics... Do your time. If it's 15 mm-hmm. minutes, do 15 minutes. Don't do 20. And obviously, I'll tell them, don't. If you're open up for somebody big who you think might do something, I said, don't ever try to close on a huge 
bit or and not a music bit especially that's like cheating that's a crutch <laughs> but i always say when i op- when i'm on the road and i'm on tour with epps or if i and i'm a cat or something i'm going up before him i always say look how i close my show I, if i got 30 minutes i'll be fine for 30 minutes and the last minute i literally will put the mic in the stand take a breath and just say hey you guys were awesome I'm Gary Owen, enjoy Mike Epps, or enjoy Cat Williams. And the crowd's like, oh, okay. Because it's like you're giving respect to the guy after you, and you're giving him a chance to breathe. So when the next guy goes up, he's like, oh, they're in a good frame of mind. Because I've, I've done shows where they, the guy will go up and do some crazy music bit, and the music's playing. The crowd's kind of laughing at the music, and then the host will try to bring me right up. I said, nah, that, that song's probably going to play for a while. I'm not going right up. I'm going to give them a chance to sit down and be settled. You know what I mean? Right. So... That's all I tell comics. Just be on time and do your time. So, Well, Gary, thanks for uh, sharing your time with me. And yeah. I will, I will show you some respect because I know you're about to go on stage. Yeah, thank you. And I'll give you a moment to breathe. So, all right. I appreciate so thanks. it. Thanks. <laughs> this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.